Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on YouTube. You'll find the links in the podcast description. I've also got four other podcasts, the Meditation, the Learn Polish, the Crypto, and the Awakening, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, but with solutions. you find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, my guest, I would say, Sarah, the entrepreneur, he's got a fantastic business increased uh, the employees to a massive amount in a short time. So I'm looking forward to this because I, I love business. Please welcome Rob Buffington. Thank you for having me. No problem. So I always like the listeners. You might let the you know the listeners know who's uh, who's Rob. Sure. Uh, my name is Rob Buffington. I'm the CEO of Gordian Business Solutions, which is a portfolio of companies uh, comprising Gordian Staffing, Gordian Financial, Gordian Consulting. And we work with small and medium-sized businesses to help them get through the tough times a little quicker and, and help them scale a little faster. Okay, brilliant. So I suppose let's kind of touch on your own journey first, because with the entrepreneur kind of, you know, did you work for an employee first and kind of built it out? What's your own kind of entrepreneurial journey? Uh, kind of, yes, kind of, no, I, I have, I'll be the first to admit I have zero practical experience. My last job was as a security guard. Uh, I don't have an MBA. I didn't intern anywhere. I just tried stuff. Um, uh, my first business was in property management and we're still heavily focused in that area, but I couldn't get anybody to hire me because I owned rental properties during the crash. I bought rentals and managed them myself. So I wanted to work at a management company to get experience, uh, but nobody would hire me because I didn't have experience. I even offered to work for six months for free. Like I've got the rental income. I will intern. I'll do it for free. Just teach me and nobody would hire me. So a property management company came on the market and I just said, well, what the heck? I'll buy it and try my best. Um, and, you know, there were definitely some bumps, but we we turned out okay. And from there, I was able to buy or found several other businesses. And yeah, here we are. We have seven companies now and, and over 400 employees in um, in three countries. Wow. And like, that's actually fascinating that they wouldn't actually give you work when you offer to do it free. I mean, I would bite somebody's hand off. To, like if somebody's doing that, you know that they're going to be good. Because if somebody's willing to learn the skill and want to come in, you know, it's a shame on them for not actually allowing that. Uh, if they had hired me, I probably would have been a lot worse off. So it's hard to be upset. You see, that's the thing. No, but it probably worked out better for you. So, I mean, I've done a load of property here and it's it's hard because I've, I've, I've built a... Um, a block of 30 units and then I kind of managed it. Then I got somebody else to manage it. There's a lot of kind of trickery. And then I had a load of, I don't know how many different properties, properties, my own ones. And then for a load of different clients around the world. And there's a lot of headaches. It's there's times where it's a fantastic business. And I like, I don't know, is it the same for you, but it's nice when you have one building and you're dealing with that. But if you're dealing with individual, I don't know, do you keep away from it? It is, it's painful. There were definitely difficult times, but I I think the difficult times are what gives you the opportunities. And at the risk of sounding like a Hallmark card, the difficult times are what separates the winners from the losers, how you handle those. If it were easy, everyone would do it. But I was fortunate to have a great team and my wife worked with me and, and she definitely helped a ton balancing me out. But yeah, we, we did all right. 
And because I mean, some people, I I've got a few friends, and uh, they work with their with their spouse, and I it some people just compliment each other, and others it just it doesn't work. But like, have you tips for making it work? How ye actually made it work? Because uh, like, that's another learning curve as well. I presume like that is kind of you have to kind of you know tread the water till you work it out. Um, <laughs> it depends on the type of work. Uh, we definitely complement each other in that we're complete and total opposites, but that can be good because we can tackle different problems. Um, I, I would say make sure you don't take things home with you because if you have a bad day at work, it can be very easy to have a bad day at home. Um, if possible, try not to work directly together because like have a layer of separation or work in different departments because it can be very difficult to be confrontational about issues. If if the other person has been up all night with the kids, it's kind of hard to get on them about not getting stuff done at work. Um, so make sure you have that separation. Um, and, and yeah, make sure you don't do any favoritism. That's for sure. There are definitely people who will you know, be afraid to say something, or if, if something goes wrong, they won't want to talk about one person to the other. So it can be difficult there. And because obviously, if there's issues, but when it's just like normal days work, how to stop because I have dated uh, people that I've worked with. And I found that sometimes it's you're trying to stop the conversation be about work, because that's your commonality. And it's, you don't get to then disconnect. Do you have a kind of way of avoiding that? I don't have an answer to that because that's true for us too. Um, yeah, it's actually, it's our it's our 10th anniversary tomorrow. And I oh, I suspect we'll probably spend, thank you, we'll probably spend most of it talking about work because I know we spent the last birthday talking about work. So, like, so uh, that can be the dangerous. It can be very easy to have an insular life and not have outside hobbies. I think having separate interests can help with that, can help communicate. Yeah, definitely. So I know that you've like you've offices in different states, but also I believe in three countries. That's right. So that in itself is difficult. So just kind of how did that come about and how do you navigate it? Because obviously you can't be everywhere. Well, our largest company in the in the organization is Gordian Staffing, which has several hundred remote team members based out of Mexico and a small satellite office in the Philippines that we got going last year. And so what we place permanent full-time employees with companies in the US and Canada. Um, and it's been extremely successful, particularly in, during COVID. Um, and we've got a great team helping us. So they, they help manage the offices we have in Guadalajara, Mexico City, and then a satellite office in Manila. Um, but yeah, we have several hundred people. We offer full benefits. We treat them just like any other employee and uh, aim for keeping them for the long term. And it's been very successful. Brilliant. And I, like I, I, you know, I've hired people in remotely in a few mm -hmm. countries but the philippines i've had fantastic results i, I like i actually do a, a live podcast with a lady from the philippines she's living in the u.s but i find they have a lovely ethic is that something because i mean you could have been anywhere in the world i mean you've done the mexico and everything was that why you kind of geared there was it something you, you saw yourself um well i used i used them first for my own companies so i was my own first customer i had a building services company and a property management company and we had remote staff working for those. So we actually founded Gordian Staffing because we wanted to offer benefits. We wanted to do more for our employees. 
Mexico was logical because they were bilingual and Spanish is very useful in, in the United States. Um, the fluency was there. Also, the, the cultures were blended because there's a lot of Latinos coming north. There's a surprising amount of Americans going south. So it was very easy to communicate and just have wonderful workers. Um, the Philippines has been used for probably 20, 30 years by insurance companies, things like that for call centers. So they have a very strong infrastructure. English is the national language. Um, and then the low cost of living makes the arbitrage very attractive to companies. So there's definitely pros and cons to both places. But we, the reason we're in only two places is part of what we do is we help companies bridge the cultural gaps that come when working with somebody from a very different worldview. Um, just being raised in a different place with different ideas, there can be breakdowns in communication and expectations. So I've been in Mexico now for a little over five years, and I'm still learning. I'm still understanding how things work out and what the expectations are and things like that. And uh, Philippines, we just added last year. So we're still learning those two places. Um, but if you go to 20 or 30 countries all at once, it's very hard to learn and, and do the best for your team. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously learned because you've, but when I moved to Poland, I remember just the culture and everything. You just make assumptions based on the way it is at home and you just assume that's the way it is. And exactly. You, you get a reality check with these things. Like. Exactly. And it's not wrong. It's just, it never occurred to you that it would be different somewhere else. Um, like one of the examples I use is in the very early days we had an employee that we wanted to hire. We were interviewing him and we said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for da da da. And we said, okay, great. And we did the next interview, liked him, made the offer and he rejected it. And we said, well, can I ask why? Like we gave you exactly what you wanted. And uh, I forget the number, but let's say it was 25,000 pesos. And he, so we offered 25,000 pesos, gross salary, law benefits, et cetera. And he goes, no, 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 no. I, I wanted that. He had already taken another job by the time he got back to us. And he said, no, I wanted that after taxes. At the time, I didn't know that it's not uncommon in Mexico to speak about your expectations net. Whereas coming from the United States, I'm not sure how it is in Ireland or Poland, but we always say you're getting 50,000 a year. And that's everybody knows that's your gross salary. So nobody was wrong. It was just, I didn't understand the cultural differences. And as a result, we lost out on a potential employee. Yeah, it's kind of similar because in Ireland, when somebody says a salary, you know that that's the gross and you just work yeah. it out yourself. But in Poland, they tend to tell people what the net is. People want to understand. So it's more common to be using the net figure here as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was an early bump in the road. And, and there's just a number of things like that, that we help clients navigate with their staff. And I'm curious when you're kind of onboarding then, because obviously, when you're taking on the people that you're basically going to be outsourcing as such through your company, do you use like a disk profiling or some sort of profiling system to ensure that you've got the right fit? We do. So we're, we're not a temp agency. We don't hire people and then place them. We go to our clients. We say, what are you looking for? What's your company culture? What soft skills, et cetera. And then we go out and we recruit based on those needs. And we have a personality test and we have, we, we, we work with the clients too, because we're not just beholden to the clients. We're also responsible for our employees to make sure that we're putting them in a good work environment and making sure it's a good fit. Because you can have a good person in a bad fit and have a bad result. 
And it's our job to make sure that doesn't happen. So yeah, we do personality tests. We do multiple interviews to make sure they understand what the job is. And our retention rate is very high. So we're very proud of, of the connections we've made and the opportunities that these people are getting. And are ye like they're staying on yearbooks as such, and then you do the work for the, the companies? Or is it that the company hires them directly? Because they're in another country, there's a ton of paperwork and, and hoops to jump through. So legally, they remain employees of Gordian Staffing Philippines or Gordian Staffing Mexico. And then we contract with the employer and then they pay us and we file with IMS and we do the taxes and the health insurance and all that. But they work full time on a permanent basis for the clients. Okay, And that, that, that's actually a fantastic model because it allows one the locals to be getting decent jobs mm -hmm. and the companies, a lot of them, because I just know from like a lot of Ukrainians coming here in Poland, there's a lot of work involved in that. And you're actually there taking is. that headache out. And if you take it into account, one, finding the right fit, but to all of that, because basically with, so if I was working with you and, and as you said, sometimes a culture fit doesn't work. And just if it's a wrong fit, you can change it. Whereas if I'm hiring someone directly, that's a costly mistake for me. Yeah. 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 And we help people before they start. Again, we don't just connect people. We work with both of them. So if it's a client, we will say, what does an average day look like? And again, this is something that we've developed over the years. So many people come to us and just say, I need help. It's like, okay, great. Tell us more. I'm just, I'm drowning. I've got so much to do. I need somebody else. Okay. But what, what are they going to do? What does an average day look like? Because it's, if you hire somebody without knowing exactly what it is they're going to do, you can't train them how to do it. You can't expect them to stand there and just instinctively know what they're supposed to be doing. So we walk them through and we say, okay, from nine to 10, what are they doing? Okay, well, they're gonna come in. I want them to check the main company email. I want them to clear the voicemails from the previous day. Okay, great. From 10 to 12, what are they doing? And we just dive line by line and we help both sides understand. And then after placement, we check in with both of them and we say, you know, how are things going? Does the job match your expectations? How is training going? And we help the two sides communicate to one another. And is there situations where you're actually having the people to be in physically or is it always remote? It's they work from home. It's not uncommon for clients to either fly down to meet their team or to fly some of their team members up to the United States for maybe a company event or a Christmas party or something like that. Um, I'll be visiting my office in Guadalajara and Mexico City next week. Um, so it's, it's a real easy flight. And that's one of the reasons we like Mexico. Um, so, yeah, it's not uncommon for them to connect in person, but they do continue to work from home on an ongoing basis. And I've heard because I remember uh, somebody from there. That's actually a couple of million. That's a big city, isn't it? Guadalajara. It is. It's uh, I believe it's five million people. And Mexico City is actually 20 million in the metro. So massive amount of people. And with yourself then, because, you know, your three, three offices as such, well, eight in the state, but three countries. Are you are you living out of a suitcase? Are you actually having to travel a lot? Because like, it's you no, know, especially four hundred. Is it four hundred currently employed? That's a lot of people. 
It is. I do travel a lot, not so much for the management, more for sales, meeting with clients. I do consulting, um, helping clients prepare policies and procedures, things like that. Thankfully, I've got a great team in Mexico that that does the recruiting and the HR, and we have offices in both places that are run by experienced people. Um, so I go down there more because I enjoy it. I like meeting the team, um, but I also spend a lot of time on the road here in the States. And like you mentioned, uh, you know, like homeowners association, like the building and stuff like that. Is that something that's a niche that you've kind of spotted and you help people in that or have like what kind of niches are you trying to stick to a few or are you just kind of broad and cover everything? We're open to help anybody that we think we can be a help to. But about 80 percent of our clients are in the HOA space. Um, simply because that's who I know, that's what I know, and it's been largely a referral business. Um, so it, it, that's definitely where we've stayed. We do hope to expand into some new industries, such as maybe accounting, insurance, increasing our presence in those two. Um, but yeah, 80% of our clients are in HOA management right now. So no question that that, that is our bread and butter. Okay. And is there kind of like add-ons then because obviously i mean i just know from the bit that i was doing because you can organize the insurance and have a payment for getting better figures for the person because if you're dealing with so many different homeowner associations rather than if they're just one off it's different if they've if they're a big organization but there's a lot of things that even the software and stuff like that is that something that you're able to offer or looking at we, our staff goes to the management companies, so we don't work directly with the HOAs. We staff the company that manages the HOAs. Um, and so we have third-party accounting services for management companies. We have the staffing, we have consulting, and then we have shared services, which is onboarding and different projects. We, all, we do have vendor partners that we can recommend that are in software and things like that, but as it is, we're, we're keeping pretty busy in our, our current niches. So we we're trying to trying to focus for a few years. Okay. And because uh, I've heard that you try to do like a profit sharing as well as charity as well. I know that like 10% that I heard mentioned, but it just, you might just kind of touch on that because it sounded interesting for me. Sure. We're, we're extremely proud of the work that we're able to do and, and everything that we do, we take a certain chunk and give it back to our employees and a certain amount we give back to charity. Um, in 2022, we gave almost $100,000 to various charities in Mexico and the US. Um, and this year, I, I hope to be able to do a lot more. So we're extremely proud of that. And honestly, that's why we do what we do. And with the, the staff then, is it just the staff that's actually placing the different employees or is it everybody's that's connected so that if they're placed somewhere they'd be classed as staff as well for the profit sharing yes we it used to be everybody when we were a much smaller company as we've grown we've focused it more on our leadership team because when you multiply when you divide something by several hundred people it's not quite as meaningful uh, mexico does provide for profit sharing by law so we do that um but we also have things like social events, educational training. Um, we have a big Christmas party every year, stuff like that, virtual socials. Okay, brilliant. And I suppose going from 25 to 4, that, that, there's obviously kind of milestones that you realize. Eh. So what did you learn as you were building? Because 
I mean, I've never got to that level. I, I've managed people in Ireland. I had a, maybe 200 on different projects doing construction. And here, I think I had 14 people. And that in itself, I, I, I kind of felt I was like in agony ants, you know, kind of just making sure that I had everybody kind of working right. So I, I don't believe I was doing it right. But I'm just curious, as you were growing, what you kind of learned? Did you have to take a step back at times as you were building? Um, I'm not sure I know how to do it either. If I'm being honest, I, um, I, you know, I certainly don't consider myself a, an amazing manager. I think I've got a great team that's helped me fill in the gaps. Um, what I've learned, I'd say hire people a lot smarter than you are. Um, and don't be intimidated by people that are better than you. Four or five years ago, when I was in property management, I I was confident that I could jump into any job in the company and do it better. Like I, I knew it. Now, every single position, whether it's recruiting or HR or consulting or anything, there's somebody at my company that's better than me at it. And it's a little intimidating. But if you limit yourself to only you, you're never going to go anywhere. So I hire great people and I, I let them run and I trust them to, to know what they're doing. Um, and I, I just try to capture their hearts and hope that they trust me to take the company in a good direction and to take care of them. But I'm, I'm honored by some of the team members we have. No, brilliant. So I know that you do kind of like metrics and the accountability as well. So just what kind, is it software or what systems you've in place to do that? Um, that's definitely a broad question. I'm a firm believer in output rather than time. When you hire somebody, particularly in a remote setting, you're not paying for eight hours of their time. You're paying for what they produce during those eight hours. And if they can do that in four hours, I'm, I'm not going to be that, you know, as long as the work gets done. Um, so that goes back to working with clients and establishing what is it that you expect well, I need somebody on phones. Okay. Well, what what, is, what do you want your missed call percentage to be? What is it now? What should it be? Because you can't just say you want somebody there eight hours. You need them to do something. So part of our consulting practice is we teach people to do things like um, uh, missed call percentage, email response time, customer satisfaction rate, net promoter score, first call resolution is a really big one. Um so just we teach people to measure the output rather than measure the time. Um, and I'm a big believer in just giving people the guidelines and the goal and the philosophy and let them do what they do best. Oh, brilliant. And because like I've used uh, Upwork um, for uh, having somebody doing social media stuff and everything. And it's like they have to log on to a system which is basically showing everything they're doing, which in a way it, it does some jobs have to have that but as you mentioned there if somebody can do something in four hours to me i'm more results driven it, like at the end of the day but what happens as well with that is sometimes when people realize ah he only has to do it in four hours then they try to pile more work on them do you, is that something that you try to avoid because you don't want to overwhelm them because your best people can be the worst or they can actually disappear you know based on what you've just done to them it's difficult to say because every company is different. We have clients that are very small. We have clients that have thousands of employees. So there's, I don't think there's one right answer. I definitely know companies that micromanage every minute. And I don't think you get the best out of people. 
simultaneously, if, if people know that you're not paying attention, they're more likely to take advantage of that. So I think you need a balance. Um, and I think the best way to do that is make them feel included and make them feel like part of the team. They're not third party contractors. That's We don't even use the term VA. We prefer remote team member. I tell people, you're not outsourcing. We're helping you open your Mexico office. So, you know, you should be talking to them throughout the day. You should be chatting, video calls, things like that to make them feel connected. Um, so it's, it's the same issue you would have with people working from home during COVID. Um, and you just have to determine what your company's philosophy is and what each position needs to be doing. And I think, I, know, I don't think anybody actually liked what happened for the last three years with the lockdown, but I think for your business, it's kind of, it's been an advantage because there's so many companies didn't realize, hey, we can have people at home and they're actually more productive. Yeah, it forced people to confront the new normal as it relates to hiring. Um, and even with the lockdown over in most places, I, I don't think we're going back. We're, we're not. And like, I, I mean, I, obviously you've got big corporations, but even smaller organizations, when you don't have to have the office, I mean, sometimes they will for meetings, but you can seriously reduce the, the, the meter square that you're actually renting mm -hmm. plus your electric water and all utility cost. There's a major savings to be made. And absolutely. And you've got yeah. all the actual like insurance and pension. Mm -hmm. What you, that's on ye. Like that's not on the company as such. Yeah. It, there's so many secondary costs. People save between 40 to 60% just on payroll costs. Cause as you said, we cover the health insurance, the liability, the workers comp, all of that. Um, and the best part is even though you're paying half, we're, they're living better on that than somebody domestic making 50,000 a year. So we we believe that it's better to pay people 10 to 15% above what they you could get them for and keep them for the long term. And then that reduces turnover and mistakes and training time and all that. And then add on top of that, we have, we have a large client in California and they've got over 50 people with us and their lease is coming up for renewal and they're cutting their space in half because they have so many remote staff. And as you said, there's utilities, there's internet, there's coffee. I mean, all these little costs that you no longer have to provide for. And then on the employee side, they don't need to pay for daycare. They don't need to pay for gas. They don't need to pay for, they can do so much more. They can live in cheaper areas. So it's it's a win-win for everybody. And I think there's the, people don't realize it as well as the freedom. Because I mean, if you're kind of on a, say you're doing the accounting and you kind of do it in the hours that are suitable, you know what you need to do. And you have a dental appointment. There's some employers, it's an issue to actually take a couple of hours to go to a doctor or a dentist. And you're kind of letting people be in control themselves. But at the same time, when they're paid properly, they will deliver the results. Yeah. And we, we leave those decisions to the client, but most of them understand that, you know, like you said, staff accountant, as long as everything is done by the 10th of the month, you're getting stuff done. If you need to take three hours off to go to a dental appointment, work three hours later that day or the next day, that's not the end of the world as long as both sides are in agreement. If you look at ge the generational changes in the workforce and millennials in particular, the number one thing they want above all else is control and choice. They wanna decide more about how they work, how they're compensated, what they're doing. And that type of flexibility 
being able to do that during business hours is such an advantage to them that they can then make up at a later date. Um, so the benefit to them is much less than the disruption of the client. So it's a win-win. And I get texts all the time from my team. Hey, I've got to pick my kid up or, Hey, I've got this or that. And as long as the work is getting done and as long as they're being transparent and, and discussing it with me, I'm happy to do it. Now, you know, if they're doing that and trying to get away with it and not telling anybody that of course is a problem, but as long as there's open communication and both sides are agreed, you know, why not? And with Mexico, I mean, I presume that's kind of the same time zone for a lot of America, which in turn yes. are working similar hours, as opposed to, I mean, because I, I do calls with with Australia and every, I mean, there's some even here now, like, I mean, you're early yeah. morning and I'm, you know, you know, 3.30 p.m. It's it's just like, so that's actually an advantage as well by the, the time zones. And that's one of the reasons we invested so heavily in Mexico, not only the culture and the language, but the time zones. Um, half the year it's mountain time zone, half the year it's central time zone, because they just abolished daylight savings time a few months ago. Okay. It's a, it's a one, because I know that in uh, the Middle East, they don't have it as well. It's like, it's strange, as, as somebody said, it's like getting a blanket, you know, cutting off the top and sewing it, and sewing the it on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we just had it here in the United States uh, on Sunday. And my kids getting them up for school this week has been hell. So not that anybody listens to me, but I would be all for abolishing it and never looking back. <laughs> I think like I think it was brought in to affect our kind of our natural time zone, let's say, like, you know, our body. It was, clock. It was World War Two, wasn't it? To to increase production of factories. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be all for kind of abolish it as well, but put it on the right one, the one before they changed it. Uh, not that they don't uh, doctor it. So just because, I mean, you, you've mentioned like how you're kind of looking after the people that are coming in and ensuring you got the right thing. But. I, I just know myself from having different clients and work with different people. Sometimes they, you can have a rotten egg as well. And is it something that you're conscious of and you're you, like how you deal with, you know, obviously you want to build a brilliant relationship and you want to find the right people, but there's times that there there's, let's call it a psychopathic boss or something. There's just some people, they're just not good as an employer. Like do you have a system? What's your own thoughts on that when you get the wrong guy? <laughs> I should probably be careful what I say here. We, we certainly have had clients that we've had to respectfully say, I'm sorry, I don't feel comfortable placing anybody else with you right now. Because um, again, we, we're not, we don't view our responsibilities only to the clients. We're responsible to the employees as well. So yeah, we have had clients that they've burned through six people in six months and every single one of them has said the exact same thing. And eventually we just had to say, I'm sorry, we, we can't, we can't help you anymore. Which is actually a good thing because one, you're aware that the employee wasn't the problem and you're able to maybe perhaps, you know, place them somewhere else. And because Unfortunate, because I've seen this happen over the years, like someone can lose their total self-confidence based on one situation where they just get fired or they're just treated like dirt mm. and they kind of they, they lose their mojo in life based on that, yeah. whereas you've got the employees back. So I think it's a yeah. fantastic system, to be honest. And we won't you. tolerate it. I've I've had clients where I've pulled people and said, you don't get to talk to them like that. I, they're, you know, that just bottom line, that is not how this works. I, I don't care. That's not okay. 
it's just yeah it's just it's not right brilliant and i you know i commend you for doing that because a lot of people they wouldn't they go oh i'm uh you know i'm they, they, they look at the dollar and they're not looking at the, the employees. So I think you expanding more. So what's the kind of long-term vision? Because 400 is massive. Are you able to keep scaling up? I think we are. We we're, we're extremely ambitious. We uh, we'd like to break the thousand mark before the end of the year. Um, wow. And we want to expand into more services. We have Gordian financial, we have Gordian consulting, we have Gordian shared services, We'd really like to break into some fractional services, such as fractional HR, fractional IT for companies that are too small to need a full-time HR manager or a full-time IT person. So we'd love to provide those services for our clients in the mid midterm. Um, yeah, so we, we there's a lot we want to do. And I mean, for even for something like that, you're saving people because one, it's very hard for somebody to do that. And then they, they're using one of these platforms that do that. But to be honest with you, I've had terrible, you know, like you go out and you're trying to look at results from people and everything. And it's like some of these people that are doing 10 jobs at once and you're not really getting the right person. Whereas it's in your interest if you're kind of giving somebody like for a quarter of a week or whatever, that they're getting quality, which in turn, as it expands, you're getting them full time as well as getting more clients and recommendations. Whereas the other platforms, I don't think they're looking at that. Like, so I think it's actually a fantastic model. We're long-term thinkers. We believe that our brand name and our reputation, both to clients and to potential employees, is our greatest asset. So we want to make sure we take our time, keep everybody happy, and that will be more beneficial in the long run than launching new services that ultimately make us look bad or getting a reputation as a bad place to work. Brilliant. So, Rob, I just finally, because I always love to know people's social media preference because for me it's a minefield and most people tend to hear like with your own business growth and everything what what have you found is a good uh social media that you find has helped you um we focus mainly on linkedin um people are welcome to find me there rob buffington and gordian business solutions on linkedin um they can also check out our website at slicing the um but yeah and are you primarily kind of US-based or are you international that you can, for say UK, Europe and everything? We haven't gone to Europe at this time, uh, maybe one day, but we've certainly got our hands full just with the US and Canada. Um, but maybe one day, I'll give you a call if we do. Okay, perfect, perfect. So I'll make sure I'll put the links both in the audio and the video and thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I love what you're doing. I love you that you got the employees back because most people don't. So I wish you super success and thank you very much for the conversation. Thanks for having me. No problem. So that's all for the Speaking Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. As mentioned, we're on Pitchute and YouTube. You find my coaching along with my four other podcasts on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Sure to give us a thumbs up, five star rating, really helps. Until next week, take care.